Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Senator Klobuchar, I think, shows that so many women are still fighting not for a new feminine leadership, but simple representation. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. What a busy week it has been politically. And as we approach our last episode of the year, we just want to start out by saying thank you for spending your year with us. Thank you for letting us be in your ears about some of the most important things going on in our country and for trusting us to share our perspectives with you and for sharing yours with us. Really excited about 2020. Yeah, we have a lot of exciting political 
developments that we will be following on the ground here at Pantsuit Politics. We're going to be at the Iowa caucus. We're going to be at the New Hampshire primary. We're going to be at both political conventions. And we are so excited to take that journey with all of you. And also, we have a surprise coming at the very beginning of January. It's going to be a fresh look for Pantsuit Politics. So let's, let's send you into the holiday season with a little anticipation. Get ready for that in January. It's going to be exciting. So we have plenty to do today before we get off into the future. We're going to talk about what's happening with impeachment briefly. We're going to talk about the Democratic debate. Thank you for your patience in getting this episode a little late today so that we could talk about it. Thank you to our team for working hard on this Friday to get it to you. And then we're just going to say farewell and enjoy your two weeks. Before we get started, we did want to share a little bit of listener feedback on our Amazon episode. She said she loves the show, but she was a bit disappointed that we did not bring up the huge network of self-employed sellers that Amazon allows to flourish. She says, my husband and I have been self-employed Amazon sellers for over three years now. It has allowed my husband to follow his dreams of being an entrepreneur and allowed us to afford to buy a home as very young millennials. And most of all, it allows both of us to be at home with our 18-month-old son who is recovering from cancer. Certainly, this does not erase the bad things that have come of Amazon's warehouse working conditions. The injuries and deaths are absolutely unacceptable. However, the ecosystem system they have created for sellers is a good thing that I rarely hear talked about. And we really appreciate her sharing that. We, we, you know, we don't try to censor or run from perspectives um, that conflict with some of our takeaways from big stories ever. And it's always helpful to get another layer of understanding, especially about something as big and complicated as Amazon. We also heard from people who work for Amazon and have had good experiences and people who work for Amazon and have had mixed experiences. We could do a whole show on what Amazon means to authors. I mean, there are so many layers to Amazon, and I hope that it didn't come across that our conclusion was Amazon is terrible because that is not how I feel about Amazon. My takeaway is Amazon is complicated and I have really mixed feelings about it. And I think there's a lot to be discussed about what its future looks like and and what we can do about it as a public to make sure that we like what's happening with Amazon. So I really appreciate this perspective as well and know that lots of self-employed entrepreneurs, writers, people of all stripes are using Amazon in ways that are really important to their families. Okay, the president was impeached this week. I feel like there's such little fanfare about it, you know, because we've talked about it so much here and we knew kind of where this was going. But it's the third time in our history. It's a really big deal. Yeah. When I was getting ready for the news brief on Thursday, you know, the word that came up over and over and over again is historic. And it seemed to be everybody abandoning the narrative that has been in place for several months, which is um, his acquittal in the Senate is inevitable. That always was a part of every story I felt like about impeachment or the trials before the House Intelligence Committee or House Judiciary Committee. And instead, um, it seemed like everybody took a moment to pause and just focus on what it meant for the House of Representatives, a body in our co-equal branch of government, saying you should be removed for office because of the decisions you made as president. You violated your oath of office by seeking foreign interference in our election process. And, you know, with everything with Trump, it's so easy to be consumed and overwhelmed and not to take a moment and pause and 
sort of survey the landscape and fully comprehend the impact of this man on our country. And impeachment, because it is such a historical process, really almost by design, um, almost inevitably, you know, there is no avoiding the pause it gives everybody, even in the Christmas season, even in the hustle and bustle, even after exhaustion from um, weeks and months and years of dealing with Donald Trump. You cannot skip past or overlook what a momentous occasion it is for the House of Representatives to impeach a United States president. I didn't watch much of the hearings at all, mostly because I wanted to stay in that frame of mind that this is a very big deal, that it's only happened three times in our country's history, that regardless of what happens in the Senate, it means something. There has been some accountability. And I felt like listening to representatives back and forth was more trying to pull me into how I feel about this versus them just doing the work of Congress. And I don't want to be pulled into anyone else's version of how I should feel about this. I asked our listeners on Twitter how they were feeling about it at the end of the day. And many of them had spent time actually listening to the hearings. And it was interesting because the words that came up most were sad, disgusted, and exhausted. And I think that is a really representative summary of where a lot of people are in the country. And the the disgust seemed to come from just the inability to find any common ground between the two parties and the fact that Republicans used their time to attack Democrats and to say things that just aren't true. Um, some of them to say things that we know are are propping up Russian narratives about what happened in 2016. And I think people are rightly just tired of it. I know that I am. I don't feel like there was enough emphasis when we're talking about how Americans feel about impeachment and particularly sort of the end of the impeachment process in the House of Representatives, of the just the context of all of our lives right now. You know, the holiday season, the end of the year, is just an energy behemoth. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. If you work in business and you're wrapping up projects. If you work at hospitals, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a nurse and she's like, it is insane at every hospital because everybody's trying to get in because their deductibles have been met. If you are a teacher and you're wrapping up a semester at school and it's just, you know, it's the holiday season. And it was like nobody said, hey, maybe the viewership of impeachment is about more than people's feelings about Impeachment, like there was no context given for what everyone's lives are like right now. Just because we are not giving our attention through views and clicks and shares does not mean that people are not taking this seriously, that the American people don't care, that the American people aren't disgusted by the partisanship or making real and lasting judgments about Donald Trump, both parties, how they feel about this coming into the 2020 election. I just, you know, every time I read one of those takeaways or, you know, another pundit make a conclusion, 
based on people's attention at the end of the year, I just thought, are you a human being in the world? Do you understand what the month of December is like? And I I wish we had another way to talk about it and to to trust that the American people do care and are taking this seriously and that everybody doesn't fall into the um, Democratic or Republican, you know, ideological, not budging for a moment box and that they are carefully considering this and that it just might not show up in the traditional ways, especially at this time of year. Well, that's why I thought sad, disgusted, exhausted were really interesting and powerful words coming from our community because I know everyone here cares a lot. And I think if you care a lot and that's where you land, it explains why you aren't breathlessly following all the coverage because you need to process some of that. In addition to everything you said about the holiday season, it is also a time of incredible grief and loneliness for Mm -hmm. a lot of people because we have such high expectations of what it should feel like if it doesn't feel like that. It's an incredible strain and it's a time when we really miss people who aren't with us anymore. I mean, there's so many reasons you could already be processing a lot emotionally. And this is a communal trauma. Even though it is the thing that needed to be done, it is traumatic to be living through the impeachment of a president. And so I I totally agree with you that that keeps getting missed. So now the coverage has kind of moved on because we aren't establishing new facts to this negotiation between House and Senate about the rules for the impeachment trial. And usually we don't think about that as a negotiation. We just think, okay, the House is done. It sends this to the Senate. The Senate makes the rules and off it goes. But Speaker Pelosi is trying a different angle. And really illustrating once again that she is a masterful politician. Just masterful. I have not, admittedly, over the course of my life, even when I lived in Washington, D.C., given Nancy Pelosi the credit she deserves, I thought her power and her expertise came from the fact that she was such a good fundraiser. And that was short-sighted and ignorant of me (laughs) because it is about so much more than that. And I think there is an aspect of gender that Mitch McConnell gets painted as this masterful status, you know, tactician and that she does not get the same deserved analysis. But, you know, when she basically started to float the idea that she would not send it over immediately, that she couldn't make decisions about House managers for impeachment unless she understood how the process in the Senate was going to go. It was, you know, I thought it was just so smart. I think Mitch McConnell way overplayed his hand with this whole, I'm not an impartial juror. This is political. I'm working with the White House. You know, there he makes mistakes, too. He is not perfect, even when it comes to running the United States Senate. And I think he overplayed his hand. I think she saw that. I think her and Chuck Schumer have a great working relationship, and they saw their um, opportunity And I don't necessarily disagree with the House Democrats saying, why do we have to send it over at all? If we know what's going to happen, if we understand that, you know, the, the acquittal is a foregone conclusion, 
and that they're just going to use this to make it even more political and that he wants it done. He wants a chance to defend himself and he wants a conclusion. Then why do we have to give that to them? You know, I I, I don't necessarily want to see the process, you know, further shredded or politicized. But I think it's hard to not see the legitimacy of that point. As much as we would all like this to be over with, I think it's a really good thing that we have a pause in the middle, a Mm built-in break. And I think it's really interesting, given all the factors at play, that we had this editorial from Christianity Today come in right before that break, during this week Mm -hmm. when people are still paying attention, right before most things kind of shut down news-wise, right before Congress is done, and then it's all just going to sit for a couple of weeks. And I think that's really fortunate. I think it's really good that senators are going to have to go home and get away from this for a little bit and kind of reconnect with real life and think about what their responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. So I read the Christianity Today editorial. I know that you did too, Sarah. I have really mixed feelings in talking about it because I have never personally considered Christianity Today to be an authoritative form of media around my faith, certainly, and not around politics either. And I recognize that so much of the president's power, and I think this is something we're going to have to grapple with if we identify as Christians for generations. So much of this president's power has come from Christians. And so for such a long-term kind of institution in certain corners of the faith community to finally come out and say what I have been wishing faith leaders would say for a long time is a pretty big deal. For me, you know, Christianity Today has in recent months taken stances that I find encouraging and taken stances that I vehemently disagree with. But for better or for worse, um, because of its history, because of its founding, it continues to be a voice for conservative evangelicals in America. And conservative evangelicals are a huge and very important piece of Donald Trump's base. And to hear someone finally say, you know, what we are sacrificing on the altar of political wins is horrendous that we will be viewed as hypocrites, as morally bankrupt in a way, because we have linked ourselves so fully and completely with this man. Look, I, I, it's not just the editorial. I think the editorial coming so quickly after the president's statements about John Dingell, I, I mean, I have to wonder if it's an accident. I have to wonder if it was finally a bridge too far and if they had been thinking about writing this and then had decided. I'm fully speculating here, but his comments, um, for those of us, those of you who didn't follow this, the day of impeachment, he was in Michigan. He said all kinds of horrendous things. My favorite was, we're being impeached. 
No, son, you are being impeached. Don't make this a battle with everybody else. This is about you. But, I mean, that's their strategy the whole time. You. They're coming after you. Be afraid. Anyway, he also made just really, really offensive comments about Representative Debbie Dingell, who is currently serving in her former husband's seat, who passed away, longtime congressman, just an institution, And he mocked the way she came to him after her husband died and thanked him for, I'm assuming, letting the flags fly at half-mast. He implied that maybe John Dingell is in hell. And she just, you know, came on Twitter and was like, that was so hurtful. And like you said, for a time when people are grieving and when when everyone can understand what it's like to face a holiday for the first time without your loved one, for him to openly mock her grief and to talk about where her husband is in the afterlife was just so nasty. I felt like it broke through even after years of, you know, getting acclimated to his nastiness. And so for that to happen and then for Christianity Today to come out with this editorial, I hope it does sit there over the next few weeks. I hope it sits on the hearts of every Senate Republican, of every evangelical Christian and has some time to settle and gives everyone a moment to reflect on Donald Trump's impact. Cynicism is not how I usually roll, but I have a cynical perspective on this as well. The cost-benefit analysis on Donald Trump has got to be running out. Mm -hmm. If abortion is your number one issue, you've got your judges. We don't have an unlimited number of federal judges to put 30 and 40 year olds in those seats for lifetime appointments. It's been done. The federal judiciary has been remade. And so if that's your top priority, congrats, you got it. We're going to be fighting about that for a long time. And so he's not worth it anymore on that account. That will also hold back some policies that people might deride a socialist. And I want to talk about that more when we talk about the debate. But some of that will be checked by the judiciary. That's done. And so in that way, Trump is not worth it anymore. On the world stage, Trump is not worth it anymore. Mm. We have not gotten, we, we got the, the trade deal done with Canada and Mexico. We are not going to get much farther with China under this president. They've, they've basically announced that out loud. The stock market is drunk. Everybody knows it. There's no way we're going to see economic growth balloon more than it is right now. So it has turned, I think, from we to him because what he can do for the people who really cared about this stuff has been done. And now it's like, at what cost do you keep him in this seat? And at what At what level are you willing to sacrifice your continued relevance on the altar of someone who you know is going to keep dialing up who he is? What he said about Representative Dingell was abhorrent and entirely consistent with who he is. When Mm -hmm. I heard it, I thought, you know, the only person who says crueler things than this, it's just him on a different day with respect to a different Mm -hmm. woman or person of color who he thinks doesn't sufficiently respect him. We're just going to get more of the same. And so now you've gotten what you want, Christianity Today and others. And it is time to start thinking about what is this going to do to me over the long term? 
And as much as I appreciate this editorial and support a lot of what it says, I still have some quibbles with it. Like the the unfair process argument, I think, is baloney. The White House very much had an opportunity to participate in the House process insofar as it could have had its witnesses testify, and it's it chose not to. But anyway, I won't quibble with that too much. I appreciate the editorial. I agree with it. I also think that it should be step one in a very long reckoning about how we got here and the damage done to our faith institutions in the course of getting here. Well, I don't know if it's that cynical. Look at the mass retirement of House Republicans. Clearly, lots and lots of people are making that calculus. That's right. I think it's really important to make the distinction between Donald Trump's base and people and constituencies with a different type of power in the Republican Party. Because Christianity Today could write an editorial every single day from now until next Christmas. And you and I both know that there are members of Donald Trump's base who will never, ever turn from him. That's fine. That's who those people are. That's fine. However, that calculus you're doing and you're talking about is about people with real economic power, political power, influence within the Republican Party. And that is a different constituency. And I'm not talking about the never Trumpers, right? I'm talking about people who do cold, hard calculus about their bottom line when it comes to politicians, um, when it comes to their own power and influence. And that is not the woman who goes to 13 Trump rallies in a year, it's right? It's the professional class. That's who it right. is. It's, it's the a, professional class. It's, it's a different group of people. And I don't think it's cynical for them to start deciding What am I going to do here? How far am I going to take it? That's all they do in their lives. And so, you know, I don't think the Christianity Today article impacts them. But I hope all those other factors you discussed really do. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk about the Democratic debate as we look ahead to 2020, whether we have President Trump still in office or not. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. 
That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Last night was a Democratic debate. It was the smallest Democratic debate. Only seven candidates. We had Andrew Yang, Tom Steyer, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and... Man of the hours, Pete Buttigieg, who everybody was gunning for. Yeah, now that he's for real, he becomes the punching bag. That's just how these things go, right? I hope he took it as a compliment. Ooh, I don't know. It was pretty harsh. Some of those some of those attacks I wouldn't take as a compliment, I can tell you that much. Amy Klobuchar, I think, came out gunning for him in a major way. You know, I think she wants to be the moderate alternative to Joe Biden. And he's messing with her plan. He's in her way, especially with polling in Iowa. And so she he was getting it from her as, you know, if you want a moderate alternative that can beat Donald Trump, who has expertise and a proven track record of winning, it's me, not Pete Buttigieg. And then he was getting it from the left with, from Elizabeth Warren going after his wine cave fundraiser that he held in Silicon Valley. And his taking donations from millionaires and billionaires. And it just there was a there was a certain point where I thought, dang, I feel sorry for Pete. I thought he handled Senator Warren very well. 
I don't think it benefited Senator Klobuchar or Mayor Pete very much for the two of them to be sparring, especially because I thought Vice President Biden had a really good night. And that's the trouble for both of them, right? If Vice President Biden continues to have good nights, there isn't a lot of room for a moderate alternative to Biden to emerge. I mean, I feel like, honestly, even with the attacks, everybody had a good night because there were fewer people, because there were more substantive questions, because they were given time to really answer them and to flesh out their differences on several topics. You know, I know that watching Pete and Elizabeth Warren argue about donations was intense. But the truth is, I think that's a conversation we need to have, not because I think there's a right answer. I don't know if there is a right answer. I can see both sides. I don't want people to have access based on how much wealth they have. And I understand that small dollar donors is a very difficult funding model. And I want to have every tool at my disposal to beat Donald Trump. And so, you know, there were several times during the debate where I thought, I'm just going to acknowledge that there isn't one right answer here. But I think because there were such substantive questions, because there were fewer candidates and they had time to answer them, you know, that's what gave me the space to feel like that, to hear really good arguments from both sides and think, hmm, yeah, everybody's making good points here. PBS knows how to run a debate. That's just the long and short of it. PBS knows how to do this. It was very character revealing, I thought. I felt like in this debate more than any of the others, I learned less about policy and more about people's temperament and how they respond when they're under a lot of stress. And what we saw in the debate stage in those most tense moments is not even, you know, the tiniest fraction of what you'll experience as president every single day. And so I thought it was an appropriate amount of stress. You know, I teach yin yoga, and I always talk in yin yoga about how the point of yin is to intentionally put some stress into the body so that the body works its way through it in a healthy way. And I felt like this debate was kind of the yin yoga of debates because it put an appropriate amount of stress on folks, and we got to see what they did with that. And and it was helpful to me in that way. Yeah, I, I felt like everybody had good answers was ready for attacks or were ready was ready for difficult questions, except for maybe that last question, which was kind of weird. I mean, I do like the sort of woo-woo questions that they're not prepared for. Um, but, you know, some of my favorite moments, and especially when they come out sort of in stress or when they're kind of going after each other, is when they interact with one another. When <laughs> Joe Biden was like, stop waving at me, Bernie. And Bern- I felt like Bernie... God save me, was like the warmest and kind of funniest and just most human I've seen him in a while. And I really enjoyed it. And I like the moment where, you know, Biden was going back and Klobuchar was like, hey, and he was like, I never do that. And she's like, you're right. She'd like pulled out her mom voice and was like, she, you're right. You don't. Like, it just, I loved when Andrew Yang thanked Elizabeth Warren for reading his book. And she was like, I am reading. Like, she's so excited. I loved all those moments when they when they have exchanges with one another and you can see them at their most human. It's some of my favorite exchanges to watch on the debate stage. I thought a tough most human moment 
was when the Politico moderator asked the question about President Obama's recent comments about Mm -hmm. how if women ran everything, the world would be much better, that older people refusing to to get out of the way causes problems. I mean, those are intense comments, especially for this stage of human beings. And he directed the question first to Senator Sanders. And before he finished the question, Senator Sanders said, and I'm white, too. And I know it was supposed to be funny, but I thought that was a really Uh tough character revealing moment because it gives voice to what's really going on mentally, which is, you know, Uh I know that the world holds against me my whiteness. And that's just not true. A and and B, not helpful from a leadership perspective. And so I really found that to be a defining moment in my view of this debate. Not that I was ever going to vote for Senator Sanders, but I really thought that was illuminating. I thought a really reflective moment in much the same vein is when the moderator, Amna Nawaz, was pronouncing Afghanistan probably more accurately for the region, but differently than lots of people pronounce it in this country. And Joe Biden was either confused or corrected her. But again, it was sort of that where you see clearly some of their orientation to the world and to people they interact with. I mean, I thought the moderators several times held the candidate's feet to the fire, said, no, you didn't answer the question, or, you know, they were tough. Even to the point there was an interesting moment, I don't know if you noticed it, where Judy Woodruff, like, interceded on Elizabeth Warren's behalf and was like, she was mentioned, she gets a time to answer. Like, it was, it was, it was fiery, especially that second half. And again, I thought it was fiery in an appropriate way. It did not feel like a ratings mm-hmm. banana clickbait kind of fiery. It felt very yep. substantive. And I just I credit PBS and Politico a lot for that. This is a small thing. I really appreciated them standing in front of news logos instead of like an explosion of American flags and American iconography. I hate how a lot of the debate stages look like the 4th of July parade threw up on stage. And I thought it lended a certain air of seriousness to have them just be there at a news event, interviewed by journalists in a way that really felt like, let's get to the heart. I mean, I loved that extensive discussion of nuclear power. More of that, please, you know, mm-hmm. where, where we can say, yes, we all feel the same about climate, but also we have some differences. And let's start to tease those differences out. Although it would have been nice if the background had stayed still. The rotating logos, the way they kept moving behind them was so distracting. I was not a fan of that. Neither was Twitter, if what I was looking at was any indication. Um, I also felt like I know Amy Klobuchar came to play. And I know that many, many people are declaring her a winner. And for me, I think last night helped to further crystallize why I just struggle to connect with her or get excited about her as a candidate. I feel like... Many of the reasons that I 
stereotypically <laughs> would like to see a female candidate um, in sort of a different approach to leadership, a different approach to management, um, a different perspective on power are just not present with her. I don't hear that in her answers. I don't hear that in the way she reflects on her achievements or her electoral successes or even her life story. Like maybe she's just that good of a politician, but, you know, I don't hear the different approach I want to hear in a female candidate from her. And I, I know that's such a broad brush and it's there's lots of female stereotypes and everything I just said. I am fully aware of that. But, the, you know, there's the more I watch her and, you know, arguably, I think I'm I'm still undecided. I love Elizabeth Warren. I do. But I don't think I'm unpersuadable. I think the right sort of case or moment or policy plan, I don't know, could pick me off. I I think that. And I thought maybe maybe it's her and I just I can't do it. And I I hate that and I wish I could really put some structure and detail around why and not say, like, it's just a gut feeling, but it's kind of just a gut feeling in a lot of ways. Like, I do wish, I said on the Instagram, I wish that question about forgiveness at the end of the debate, which is a little woo-woo, I wish she'd ask for forgiveness for how she treated her staff. If she had any guts at all, if she really wanted to show a different way to do this, a different way to run, a different way to be a presidential candidate, I think that would have shown something really great and it would have turned my opinion on her but she never really talks about it and maybe she's because she doesn't want to bring it up and I get that approach too but there's just something that I can't connect with I'm nervous about what I'm about to say but I'm gonna say it anyway and hope that everybody gives me a little grace as I try to work my way through this I think what is happening with that feeling you have about Senator Klobuchar which I share is a symptom of how much people who are running for president who are not white men in their 50s and 60s have to carry. Because Senator Klobuchar is a very good representation of how what feminism means is so different depending on your age, your life experience, your geographic region. Senator Klobuchar, I think, shows that so many women are still fighting not for a new feminine leadership, but simple representation just for more Mm -hmm. women to be at the table. She has had life experiences, I would imagine, that tell her she doesn't have the luxury of trying to put forward a bold new vision of how women can lead differently than men. It is just throwing enough elbows to stay in the room, being three times as prepared as her colleagues, putting forward all this legislation, being a ferocious prosecutor. You know, Amy Klobuchar, I think, will resonate with a lot of women who that is their experience in a boardroom or an office every single day. 
I am just fighting for simple representation. It'd be real exciting to show a different version of what all this could look like, but we're not even close to that yet. And many of us are saying, I don't want to wait. I don't want to take that middle step of just getting more representation. I want to zoom ahead to show me something different. Let's remake this Mm -hmm. as we are getting that representation. But it's the same thing. Mayor Pete's experience of the LGBTQ community cannot hold anywhere near the entire experience of people who are members of that community. You know, his experience as a millennial cannot hold everything that people in the millennial generation are feeling. Cory Booker and Senator Harris you know, can't be everything, even though she's dropped out. I felt this around her, too. She can't be everything that needs to be represented in a space where black women have been excluded for too long. These There were criticisms of President Obama about this, too. And so I think I try to hold an ounce of grace about that. I've especially been thinking about her treatment of staff, which does genuinely bother me and how I think that is just symptomatic of a system that still is from its crown to its toes embedded in a patriarchal power structure. And so I I totally get that disconnection. I feel it with her too. And I also understand why it exists. She is not my candidate. In fact, the absence of Senator Booker on stage really solidified that he is my candidate. I am tired of hearing white people try to talk about issues like reparations. I think there is a richness to his perspective that was sorely lacking on the stage last night. And I I think it's important. And I hope that Andrew Yang is right, that he will be back. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I did feel something that you and I talked about earlier in the week watching this debate, which is just that it's it's kind of weird that this field is where it is and that the top tier of the field is white and that the top tier of the field is pretty old and mostly male. And I think as much as the DNC has tried to establish criteria that feel neutral There's just so much embedded into, and I thought Yang did a great job talking about this. There's so much embedded in who who gets to make even small dollar contributions and who lives in Iowa and New Hampshire for those early state polls that, that we're just, we're still not in a process that leads us to something that I think is really reflective of all of the people who are going to actually be voting in primaries and ultimately in the general election. During the... Questions about climate change. I think Tom Steyer and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg all said, you know, in crisis brings opportunity. And I agree with that. And I think where I come down on Amy Klobuchar, why I have increasingly positive feelings about Andrew Yang is that that's the debate we're having right now about these nominees. Donald Trump is a crisis. And how do you want to respond to the crisis? Do you just want to hunker down and do the least risky thing? Or does this crisis present an opportunity to do big things? And that's, you know, that approach is not without its risks. And so I think that's why when, you know, Amy Klobuchar talks, when Joe Biden talks, it feels like the, you know, this is a crisis, but what we really need to do is be afraid of losing. And so we need to make the safe choices. And when I hear Andrew Yang and when I hear Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and sort of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, I hear, no, this is an opportunity. 
this the crisis that is Donald Trump is a real opportunity to do big things. And I think like there's no right answer there. It's about personality almost as much as anything else. Um, but I, I feel myself sort of having that internal debate, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. And while I understand that the process is problematic, I also wish Senator Booker had been on the stage. I still came out of this debate feeling hopeful and proud because, you know, I was clicking through an article on fact-checking, and it was just one thing after the other that was true. True. No, they were telling the truth. They were having a substantial debate about differences. They weren't lying. They weren't deliberately misrepresenting the facts. We talked about issues that really mattered. China's treatments of the Uyghurs, something that felt so fringe, something that felt like no one was paying attention to it a mere month ago. We have an impeachment against Donald Trump. We talked about that. We talked about climate change and approaches to Israel. Um, There were really beautiful statements about human dignity and that our treatment and our reputation around the world is more about more than just about economic transactions. And I thought, you know, it's not perfect. And these people aren't perfect. And the Democratic Party isn't perfect. But I, you know, maybe it's because it's the holiday season and it's the end of the year. I watch this debate and I listen to their answers and I see a new year and a new decade stretching out in front of us. And against all my better instincts, I feel hopeful. I feel like things are moving and breaking loose. And that is scary and it's dangerous for a lot of people. But I'm still ready for it. And I'm ready to go with a new candidate and another debate and more caucuses and more difficult conversations where we face each other in a debate and we hear people's perspectives and there's not one easy right answer, but we're all ready for it. And I think that was a really great way to end the year and to end this week that's been so difficult, the last few weeks and months that that have been so difficult because of impeachment, to sort of, as we talked in the first half of the show, see the ugliness and the cruelty of him laid bare and see that so many Americans are ready for something different, are ready to have hard conversations where there's not an easy solution, but to face the problems that are facing America and the world and our families and our communities with bravery and strength and open hearts. And, you know, I'm going to try not to burst into a Christmas song, but that's that's where I am right now. I think that's a great way to end. And I am so grateful that we have a chance to sit down and do that here. I'm so excited about the big picture deep dives that we're planning for next year. I'm so encouraged every time I open my email, even when it's critical and you all say things like, I was really nervous to send this, please send it. It enriches us. We are really trying to do exactly what Sarah just described here. And so thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sarah. I love doing this with you. I'm so happy that we're still in this partnership. Thank you, too. And happy new year. Enjoy these next two weeks with your families. 
We'll be right back here with you in January. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.